we can bring our best selves and it's because we've given ourselves permission to pause. Then if you show up as your best self, that's when we change the world. And pause. That is our topic for today's episode. Hello, I'm Andrea Barr. I'm your host of the All Figured Out podcast. And if you've been following along here for a bit, you know that it's no secret that I aim to support and serve all you high-performing working parents out there. We usually talk about setting big goals, crushing them, how to push boundaries and limits, being the most organized version of yourself and that sort of thing. Today, we're going to be exploring and tackling all of that, but actually through a lens that might sound counterintuitive to you, and that is through pausing. More specifically, how and why to give yourself the permission to pause. Leading us in this charge is my guest for today, Cindy Backup. Cindy has had an incredible 30-plus year career where she has facilitated learning experiences of all kinds in both the public and nonprofit sectors. She's the founder of Boom Spiral Facilitation, where she's now opened up her knowledge and gift for creating connection and experiences to the general public versus just working within organizations and just only being able to serve the folks who were in the organization that she worked in. One of the ways that she does this now is through workshops for women who want to reduce overwhelm and create new habits to feel calm and vibrant. Interviewing Cindy was akin to just getting a great big hug. That's the best way I could describe it. She is equal parts sweet, calming, and incredibly well-researched in her approach. So she's just the whole package deal. And I actually don't want to spoil any more about what we get into in this conversation. So just tune in have a cup of tea or something common, go on a really nice walk outside and just let yourself connect to exploring why you should give yourself the permission to pause. You're listening to the All Figured Out Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Barr. As a career coach for parents, a mom, an entrepreneur, and someone who spent 10 plus years in the corporate world, I still don't have it all figured out. And maybe you don't either. In this podcast, I'll share tools and strategies that I use with my clients. And in the many areas where I don't have things figured out, I'll be bringing you some amazing guest experts to help us fill in the gaps. So tune in each week as we explore how to make career and life decisions that truly work for you, your family, and your big goals. Let's make moves. Cindy Backup, thank you so much for joining me on the All Figured Out podcast. I was just telling you how excited I am to speak with you today. I think that our audience is going to get just infinite amounts of value and wisdom from what you have to say. So thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you, Andrea. I've been looking so forward to this and I am absolutely honored to be invited. So thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, let's get into it. For the audience to get to know you, you have a really cool story. Could you share with us just a bit about the career and I'll even throw in the life journey because we know they're one and the same that led you to become so inspired to do the work that you do and specifically around, you know, granting oneself the permission to pause. How did you get into Mm. all that? Mm, Such a great question. Um, So I, um, my career journey, um, actually started with a bike, a box, and a suitcase, if we want to go all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) I um, was a graduate of the commerce program at the University of Alberta and uh, lived in Edmonton. And at that time, the economy was in a downturn, and I had aspirations to move to Victoria. 
And I had a dad who was a real enabler and he said, okay, let's get you out there. I had a total of $800 to my name and had this idea I was going to move to another city. And um, he worked in uh, a distribution center in Edmonton, had a very best friend who was a truck driver and used to do the route from Edmonton to Vancouver in an 18-wheel truck. And <laughs> I got my first start <laughs> in into uh, the BC economy by loading myself, my bike, my box, and my suitcase up on an 18-wheel truck, taking a two-day journey out to Vancouver. Um, had a friend bring me over to Victoria. Haven't looked back since. Um, and at that time, I took the first job I could get, which was in a, working on a reception desk at a hotel, making minimum wage. And about five weeks into that, I'm like, I can't afford to stay here. I can't afford my rent. I can't afford the cost of living. And so I decided I was going to land myself a job with the public service here in Victoria because I'd done an internship with the Alberta Public Service and thought I had related experience. So I had the names of some people to follow up with and try and reach out and contact. And there was one director who worked in the exact line of work that I had experience in. And so I knocked on the door and tried to get in and he was very busy. And you can see one of my staff members, but I'm too busy to meet with you. And I met with one of his staff members, learned a whole bunch about the priority projects they were working on, went back, tried to meet with the, the executive director, and he said, no, his secretary was, was the gatekeeper, and no, I'm sorry, he's in meetings. And I said, okay, that's great, I'll wait. And I stayed in that reception area and waited until he came out from his, um, from his meeting that he was in. He saw me sitting there, had a good chuckle, invited me in. We sat and talked for 45 minutes because now I had all this information about the priority projects from speaking with his staff and landed the job. And so from that point on, my career uh, really was primarily with the BC Public Service. And I think a lot of people don't realize this, but when you're in the public service, it um, is one employer, but the opportunity for variety is fantastic. And so I had a varied and very interesting career working mainly in the policy area and um, working everything from economic policy to uh, education policy to purchasing policy to sport policy arts policy. It was a fantastic journey of a career. And one of the threads that wove throughout the experience was whenever there was an opportunity to um, lead a meeting or to gain some experience in um, how to design experiences for people, specifically learning experiences or a planning journey, I was always the first to kind of put my hand up to, to take on that added um, task. And um, more and more, I received feedback that this was something that, that added value to the organization. And 
So um, from that point forward, I started to find opportunities for myself. And so many of the jobs that I had over the course of my career were not jobs that I applied for so much as problems that I could offer to be a solution for. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, the journey I was on. The parallel life journey um, was that of a, um, you know, a single individual starting my career and then going through the journey of um, meeting the love of my life. We, we got married, we started a family, and I began the journey of being a career um, public servant and managing what I believe to be my most important job, which is to raise our two young girls with with uh, my husband. And that was when I really started to feel the challenges of playing by the rules in a workplace that was predominantly built or on a model of um, kind of a post-war era, we're assuming everyone in the workplace is male and they've got a wife at home making their dinner. And if you're going to come into this workplace, you need to play by these rules, leave the other parts of yourself at the door and just be an employee while you're here. And I found that that was a real challenge because there were so many other parts of me pulling at me for my attention, um, whether it was um, my role as a parent or my role as a support to aging parents, um, all of those roles. And, but being the good employee that I was, I pulled up my bootstraps and played by the rules and, and, um, did what I expected I was, or did what I thought was expected of me in the workplace. And eventually, over time, it all came to a head. And what I found was that I was experiencing a unique type of stress that since that time, I've been able to put a name to it. And it was called type E stress, which is very common to women. And it's the stress of trying to be everyone, everything to everyone, all at the same time, with all of those roles that we play. Um, so I did, at a certain point in my career, with everything that was going on and several life events, I reached a point of burnout. I could not manage all of those roles in an environment that expected me to only show up with one. Um, and so I, with the support of several caregivers, finally gave myself permission to step away, take leave from work. And that was the start of a whole new learning journey for me, where I really explored what was that disconnect between who I am fully as a mom, an employee, a partner, a daughter, a sister, a neighbor, all of those roles? Why was there such a disconnect in this area of my career where I was trying to establish myself and be successful? So um, there is a whole then learning journey that takes 
place from there. But I'll I'll pause here and just invite wow. any questions or if there's anything that's not clear. No, that's a that's a beautiful story, Cindy. Thank you for sharing that because I think there's people who are on all parts of their journey who are listening and I am sure resonate with, you know, each and every aspect in some way of the journey that you've been on. Wow, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about, you know, the wisdom that you're that you're being able to share and I guess the first question that comes to mind would be would you do anything different if you were to go back to that person who was realizing hmm, something doesn't feel great here. I feel like I'm starting to juggle, you know, that moment where you said you pulled up your bootstraps, went back into the organization, you were the good employee. Would you change anything or would you give advice to anybody who might be in entering into that phase right now? Oh, such a great question. Because I think that brings me to the crux of why I've chosen to do this work now. Um, and the, um, the workshop series that I deliver, which is called Permission to Pause, is exactly that. It's me looking back at who I was in, especially during those active parenting years, and saying to anyone coming behind me, let me share this journey so that you can learn from my experience. You can help um, move the dial and evolve the workplace so that it is more holistic and welcoming and healthy for all of us. And that is not gender specific whatsoever. I mean, I come to this through the lens as a working mom, but anything we do to evolve that workplace to be more inclusive is, is going to be beneficial for all of us. I have goosebumps. I think I had this just light bulb that went off around how often I pose questions in this platform or just in life about, you know, what can you do to make your own life better? Or how can I do this to make my life better? But what you were just saying as well is the work that you're doing is also for our community. Like mm. if we're all in the workforce, if a bunch of us are in the workforce right now, or you're listening and you're in the workforce Yes, ask the question around what can you do to make the current situation better for yourself, of course, but also how can you be then transcending that to your colleagues, to the workplace? Like, how can we be evolving this so we don't keep having to isolate and solve this little problem just for me? Like, that's mm. huge, huge. Mm. Such a good point, Andrea. And the interesting point, and I certainly believe this after my learning journey that I've been on, is that in order to make that difference for the others in our community, it starts with us. Mm. And it really starts with if we don't give ourselves permission to pause, there's actually more at stake than we realize. There's more at stake for us and our own well-being. And we've heard a lot about that during COVID. I think to the point where people are like, yeah, yeah, self-care, I get it. But if we really dig deeper under it, it is first about taking care of ourselves. Secondly, it's about modeling that for our families, for the people in our circles of influence to give them permission to pause because they see you doing it. Um, and then when we bring that permission to ourselves and really take care of ourselves, we then are actually bringing our best selves to anything we're passionate about, whether it's our careers, where we volunteer, 
um, again, contributing to our community, even as we show up as parents, we can bring our best selves. And it's because we've given ourselves permission to pause. Then if you show up as your best self, that's when we change the world. That's when you see people stepping into their full zone of genius, bringing their gifts to serve the world. But it all starts because they gave themselves permission to pause. And I really, truly believe that. I have, I have seen it in so many people in my communities. I feel like I'm on that journey myself. Every time I'm grinding on something that's very difficult and I stop and say, wait a minute, <laughs> this flies in the face of what I'm trying to share with other people. And I do pause. I end up showing up in such a better way. I have so much more flow in the things that I you know, turn my attention to, I get so much inspiration and creativity all from that permission to pause. And I can talk a little bit more actually about the science behind that. It's quite interesting. Yes. Okay. What is it? I yeah. mean, it, it sounds like it's on the nose. Permission to pause. We know it has something to do with pausing. I love that you said, yeah, everyone's like self-care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. But Dig into it for me. What is it? What does it mean mm-hmm. to you? How does it work? The science? I mean, I know you've got just, we could talk for probably hours on this. Give me the skinny. Yeah. So what's interesting is um, just going back to that type E stress that I had referenced. Um, as I said earlier, I was kind of struggling like, why Why is this not working for me? Like why as a, as a mom and a you know, daughter, like think of all the roles that any one of us plays at any given time. And it finally got a name when I came across a book that was written a long time ago now, I think it was written in the 80s by a researcher by the name of Harriet Breaker. She's a psychologist. And she did research on stress responses. And she was looking at the difference in stress responses between the genders between male and female. And again, I'll just put the caveat in here that this was research that was done in the 70s and 80s when most research was on that gender binary model. So um, I am quoting the research and also acknowledging that we don't have a lot of research yet on the gender identity spectrum. But Harriet Breaker's research was actually looking at the definitions of our our stress response in terms of the type A, type B. And I don't know if if you've heard reference to that, but definitely it was based on a male um, research cohort that was um, really examined during that post-war 1950s, 1960s era when men were coming back um, from the battlefield, they got all the jobs. The women went back to um, the homemaking roles at that time. And so there was very little research that was done on women uh, and particularly their stress response. So Harriet Breaker would interview men and interview women about the stress they were experiencing and how they responded to it. And what she realized is that women have a very unique response, which she titled type E stress. And it is that stress related to trying to be everything 
to everyone all at the same time. And the best description for this is um, Dr. Breaker would uh, ask a, a male participant in her study, how's it going? And his response would be based generally on the situation he was in or the situation he was talking about at the time. So if he were asked, how's it going? And he was at work and he'd just gotten a promotion, but things were falling apart at home and the baby had been up all night with colic, his answer would be great. Things are going great because he's looking at it in through the lens of that particular role he's in at that moment. When Dr. Breaker asked females, the female respondents, how's it going? Almost universally, they would answer with a response that reflected how their entire life was balanced. So they would be thinking about all of their roles at the same time. If you can imagine that all of those roles would be little pie pieces on a plate. And if that plate were being balanced on a skinny little pedestal, like imagine a, a um, chopstick. However balanced or unbalanced that entire plate was, would be her answer. So if she got a promotion at work, but baby been up all night, you'd get you'd get a response of like, ah, so, so, you know, kind of tired. I got the promotion. She was able to hold an awareness of all of those roles, which is very helpful in a lot of situations, but it can also lead to our, our stress response, our anxiety response. Um, and so, so that is the science behind um, my further pursuit to say, okay, how, how do women manage that? Because years later, there was further study done by um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Amen, and he did uh, brain imaging research on men and women. And he saw the same effect between men and women, but saw that women's brains are generally more active in this prefrontal cortex area of the brain. Don't ask me to explain it further. I'm not a brain scientist. <laughs> but in effect, what he was saying is, yes, he was validating Harriet Breaker's work. And he was saying, yes, women's um, ability generally to carry that awareness of all of those roles and the world around them is now called diffuse thinking. I don't think they had that term in Harriet Breaker's day, diffuse thinking. Whereas if you're thinking about just one specific role or one specific topic at a time, it's targeted thinking. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> to be clear, both genders can operate in those different types of, of um, um, thinking. It's just that females generally have a greater propensity to this diffuse thinking. And what that means is it actually gives us a little bit more, um, uh, I won't say capability because everybody's able to do this, but it has a greater propensity for us to bring empathy to a situation, to 
value diversity in situations, we're also able to bring a greater sense of um, what they call what they called in the in the research sober second thought. <laughs> so ability to go, okay, before you take that step, let's just mm-hmm. let's just take a minute and think about all the other factors. Um, and also a greater sense of collaboration, because if if you're thinking of your world in terms of that plate, you might come to a boardroom table and go, what voices are missing at this table? You've got that broader um, awareness. And again, this is not to say that um, men or people of any other gender identity don't have that. It's just that we have the greater propensity for that diffuse thinking. We can be targeted and focused in our thinking. It takes just a little bit more effort and energy, but we're all able to do it. And so the reason why I refer to these two um, areas of research is because this is the argument for why we need to give ourselves permission to pause. Because when we don't, because we have that dif- that ability for diffuse awareness uh, for women, it also means that we then have, if it goes unchecked, higher propensity for um, anxiety, depression, and overwhelm. Because that's what happens when we're carrying all of our roles, all of that information, all of our concern about the climate well-being and our community and our workplace, it can overwhelm us. And the way that we manage that is to give ourselves permission to pause, to pull back from it, to regroup and to fill our cups. Wow. That is really fascinating. So fascinating how that research might have, I wonder if that research, not that we would potentially know, but I wonder if that research had it in a a, di- a different intention that now we're realizing has so much more meaning and value to, it. you know, back then it was like, oh, how are men and women different? I imagine that was more the scientific question being posed, who knows? But now, you know, we understand so much more around the applications and life is just potentially more busy and we're more distracted and, and what a huge application that is to, oh my goodness, this, this world that we live in. What do you think prevents us, especially as working parents, what do you think prevents us from taking that pause? What are the Mm. blockers, the barriers? Because I think we all know what's important. You hear that, you know, in sports, you know, we should all be like the athlete and we should have the day off and we know it, but what is it that really gets in the way? Mm. That's a great question as well. And I think there's a whole bunch of sort of cultural conditioning behind it. Um, and there's also some very interesting research coming out around um, ideas like the human giver syndrome, where we tie our identity and our worth to how much we give to others, how much we um, produce. You know, our <clears throat> we get so many signals in the workplace about um, our worth is based on our productivity. So if you feel like you're, and and this might not even be a conscious uh, decision, but we have been given so many um, social and cultural signals as we grow up, as we enter the workplace, 
that on what is valued and what is not. I mean, in most workplaces, you see awards being given to people who get feted for how many hours they worked, how many times they stayed and worked overtime. And there's great stories about how they worked through the weekend to meet that deadline. We celebrate that productivity and that work ethic. And so to tell ourselves that we have permission to step away from that, um, first of all, we, on some level, may very well be worried about our value, losing our value in, in the um, dynamic of our relationships with others. Um, and I think also as parents, because we are responsible for other, like literally other lives, there is this sense that it will all fall apart if I step back. I know, I know from my own experience that um, <clears throat> there were times where I should have made that decision to step back and, and take a moment to pause. But I really believed that my whole world was a house of cards. And if, if I were to step away, it would, it would crumble to the ground. Oh my goodness. What are some tactical examples of what a pause could look like? Like what does mm. a pause look like in everyday life? You know, mm. when you're planning out your year, what does that look like? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think there's a couple layers to it. I love the, the second part of your question in terms of planning out your year. Um, but I think before we even get to planning out our year, it starts with planning our day, mm -hmm. planning even the next few hours. And, um, in the permission to pause course, I actually have a, um, kind of a framework that we use and it is based back on that idea of the plate balancing on the skinny little pinnacle. If, if we were to think of that plate and the skinny little pinnacle being what we currently give ourselves as self-care, it's no longer sustainable. We, we can't keep having this tippy plate. So the framework that I've introduced is to say, first of all, take a hard look at the plate and can you make it smaller? Can you make the plate a saucer? And there's some tools that can be used around that. And it really starts to get at unpacking our beliefs around um, our own contribution to something that we might have on our plate and our own expectations of perfectionism from ourselves. You know, there's a lot tied behind what we think we have on our to-do list. And there's exercises that we go through in terms of creative delegation, where you can delegate it off to someone else in a way that they will thank you for it. And it's a real paradigm shift because we, in, in our sort of Protestant work ethic culture, we've been led to believe that if you can't do it by yourself, you must be failing. Mm -hmm. And if you um, ask for help, it's a weakness. And there's so much of that behind what feels like the heavy load on our plate. So we spend, uh, and these are fun, playful activities that we do in community. 
to bring your plate down from that overloaded size to a manageable saucer, like really looking at what can be offloaded. And one of the other aspects of that is flexing our receiving muscle. Because in this culture where we're valued for doing things on our own, and this goes back to when we were in school. I mean, if you got someone to help you with your homework, that was cheating, not collaboration. That was cheating. <laughs> so oh my you know, we, gosh. Really, <laughs> we really have to undo a lot of subtle messages. And generally speaking, as women, we're not good at receiving help. And we can unpack that on another podcast, but I think that also gets into um, how hard we often have to work in kind of a um, a workplace and an economy that's been driven by a male-dominated lens. Women often have to work twice as hard to take up their rightful space and to achieve the, the goals that they've set for themselves. And so... It's very difficult often for us to ask for help and when it gets offered for us to actually receive it. And so in Permission to Pause, we practice that. We practice rewiring our nervous system to receive. And it's it's absolutely delightful. It's, it's super fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, it just sounds like, you know, the word that comes up as you're saying that just sounds like community is something yeah. that would be, uh, what would be the word intention for us mm. to start to really think about or just lean on. Um, could you tell me more about that? I know this is something that you're passionate about too, and, you know, building, building and nurturing community. How does that support us? How do you do that in this world mm. where we're pretty isolated? Mm, such a great question. And that's the third component of the, of the framework. So the first being take the plate down to a saucer. The second is don't um, try and balance that saucer on a skinny little pinnacle. Put a really deep and wide cup under that <laughs> saucer. And the cup is to represent all of the delightful things that we can do for ourselves in the course of a day. And we need to fill that cup all the time and draw from it and fill it again. And so again, we go through um, some fun, playful exercises in the program around how do we fill that cup? How do we get back in touch with our younger selves that knew exactly what sounded like a fun thing to do or knew exactly um, how to fill their day with fun and pleasure and thus feel energized. And so we do some playful activities and we also explore where are the subtle leaks in that cup, you know, the um, maybe the, the social media that is draining our energy more than we think in the name of community or um, the toxic conversations we have that are too difficult for us right now and we may need to step back there's all kinds of subtle drains on our energy and then the third component to the model is finding that supportive community finding it nurturing it building it out and there are tools in the program again around um, changing the narrative changing the things we talk about changing how we talk about things in our lives. 
changing how we talk about stress, um, changing uh, how we talk about what might be perceived as a failure. Is something that you tried failure or is it just research and you got some good data and now you're going to move on to do something else with that data? You know, there's lots of ways that we can change our mindset. Um, so, yeah, it's it's about finding that community that we can trust and also to show up in a way that signals to others that they can trust us. Mm. And I provide some again, some tools and strategies on how to change those conversations. Mm. Something I've been thinking about recently is just around the word community. I'm in mm. a business group, Business Babes Collective. Shout out to our host, Danny Weeb, who runs a beautiful community there. And she's so passionate about talking about building community and working in community, especially for us entrepreneurs. So something I've been thinking about with that is just around how I think my hang up with the word community previously was around my belief. This is not, this was just what maybe I was conditioned to believe or just what I always thought was that there was this elusive quote unquote community that I should be looking for, like one community that I should be looking for to be a part of. And as somebody who uh, I'm not intensely faith-based. I don't, I, I don't have a church, like, you know, one church that I go to, or I wouldn't say that I'm just one thing. Um, you know, another episode we talked about was being a multi-potential. I, I have a lot of different passions. I've always had a lot of different friend groups. And, and so that always made me nervous around like, am I doing this community thing? Right. So what do you think about that? And about building, like, I'm starting to think about it as my own community who might not know each other, but this is my foundation. What have you noticed when you're facilitating these groups and, and people building kind of their own communities? Am I onto something or is it, should I be looking for that one group? Mm, I think you're totally onto something. And it's, I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, my personal belief, and I am still on this learning journey myself, is that we are personally responsible to build the exact community that meets our needs. And that I would say it would be very rare, if at all possible, to, to expect that one community can do that for mm. us. And um, it's interesting because that's related to the healing journey that I had when I um, did take leave from work and, and was really at a point of complete burnout. I was absolutely exhausted. Uh, my adrenal system was shot. My cortisol levels were off the map. I was spent. And I really needed to start back from scratch. And the idea was shared with me of building my own health roundtable. And I loved that idea because it in itself is a community. And my health roundtable will look different than your health roundtable. And health in the broadest sense of the world word, like where, where is the community I can go to for healthy movement? Where's the community I can go to for, um, for my, you know, mental well-being? Where is the practitioner that will support me with this specific aspect of my health? And it took me a full year to, and a lot of trial and error, 
to build out that health roundtable. And I really think that it's important for us to do that with our other communities as well. I think that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable wisdom. My husband and I have talked about this a lot. He went through medical, a really big medical health journey. And we talked so much about how it can't be a one size fits all. Like you have to build it out for yourself and it has to be integrated. And Mm -hmm. I also think about the fact that I have, so I have three sisters and I always share with people say, Oh my gosh, what's that like? Or what was that like growing up? It was incredible. I had three different sisters to go to for three different things. And I really do think about that in life now and how I have, you know, in this pregnancy, I have an acupuncturist that supports me in one way. I have like, you know, healers, actual practitioners, but then I have the friend who I call to jam on entrepreneurial things because she's also an entrepreneur. I have the friend that I call when I'm in a really bad mood because she always lightens the mood, you know? So I just think that's such a beautiful sentiment around building your own healing or your health tribe or or community or whatever it is and, and individual to yourself. Oh, I think that's so, that's so cool. And it's, I guess that's part of the permission. It's giving yourself the permission to invite these people into Absolutely. your life. And to, yeah. it's bold too, though. Like, I think that sometimes we do kind of, we look for the, the TikTok hack or we look for the silver bullet we look for the one thing, but like you said, like there's no, I think that's such, that's good permission for me to remember. There's no one community. There's no one thing. And I imagine, mm-hmm. have you experienced the fact that it's probably changed th- from that mm-hmm. point of burnout to what your team looks like now? I imagine it's evolved. Absolutely. And that has been part of the journey as well, which again, strengthens the importance of the permission to pause because in pausing, and a a lot of us don't want to pause because inertia can be scary in a lot of ways. Um, We don't necessarily want to sit in stillness and spend time with ourselves and our thoughts. Um, But the permission to pause approach is really about reconnecting with ourselves Uh, reconnecting what really lights us up. And this doesn't have to be, oh, I have to do a big, you know, trek to, you know, Costa Rica. Yeah, it it doesn't have to be eat, pray, love. In fact, so (laughs) much of permission to pause is about even reconnecting to our senses. Like what Mm. smells do I enjoy? What touch do I enjoy? And bringing that into our everyday moments. And both of us would know, and many of your listeners, as parents, maybe sometimes that's all you've got is a moment. And so it's it's about, you know, bringing that recognition that there are certain things that light you up and that you deserve them in this moment. And then as you build out from that, then you start to deeply believe that you deserve certain positive experiences. And then that starts to build out. So where is the community that will treat me the way I deserve to be treated? And so through this process, you start to find, as you said, that boldness to stand up for yourself in whatever 
situation or community you're in and start to ask yourself the question, am I receiving what I deserve in this community? Is there another community that might um, hold me more respectfully or offer me something more or challenge me in an area I wish to be challenged and grow? But you start to ask those really fundamental questions from that place of I'm very connected to myself and what I need to light myself up. And I owe it to this world and everyone around me to show up lit up because that's my contribution. Wow. And it's instead of saying you, you know, I deserve better. And then the person saying, okay, what can I do better? And you being like, well, you just need to be better. It That's what I'm hearing from that is you need to be clear, a bit more clear or pretty, pretty damn clear about what it is you need, what fills your cup because everyone is so different. And you know what? The example that comes to mind is work. I'm thinking mm. about a couple of friends who, as soon as this goes live or, may, may, live or maybe even before, I'm sending this episode to a few friends who it kills me to watch them in beautiful marriages and relationships, but really toxic, abusive relationships at work mm. that they deserve better. And sometimes I think it is that, well, this is all I've ever known. This is all I've ever done. But mm -hmm. getting clear on maybe it's pausing. And what I hear is, you know, getting really clear on what you deserve, what your boundaries are, what you need. That mm -hmm. job may be perfect for somebody else. It actually might not be toxic to them. It might not sit in that same way, but it could be harmful to you. Um, so much. Oh, my gosh. There's so much there and so many app different applications for that, too. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example. And again, um, being able to make those choices about do I stay, um, you know, what's my next step in my career move? The the place to come from is who am I? What what lights me up? Why does that light me up? And then that often leads to some great conversations. Which, as a career coach, I'm sure you know. If you can start from a deep knowledge and a deep connection to yourself and what lights you up, then it's easy to answer the questions of then what would I love to do? What would bring me joy as a, as a career or a source of, of income? So it really, it's, and I really want to emphasize because I think often as parents, we hear the parallel like, oh yes, of course, like take care, you know, do your self-care um, because it's like the airplane analogy, put your oxygen mask on first before you put your child's mask on. And there is a subtle distinction here that with permission to pause, the, the emphasis is don't wait for the emergency. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until your plane, in other words, your world is crashing down because your fuel tank is empty and you have nothing left to give. Permission to pause is really saying your energy is renewable. It's a renewable energy source and you need a sustainable energy plan. It's, it's that basic. Oh my goodness. So when you're talking, when you said, when I said, oh, planning out your year, you're like, well, you have to start with the day because mm. it's not doing an eat, pray, love once a year or every five years when you get burned out, it's the taking lunch. You even said, you know, kids are really good at this. And the the total image that came to mind was asking a kid, 
okay, so for recess, you can go outside and play or you can stay inside and do your homework. I don't know what kids are like these days, but I was not staying inside and doing my homework. I was out there making up the wildest, most imaginative games. It's like intuitively kids just know that I need a mental break. I've been sitting in this classroom all morning. And when do we do that? When do we take, I think, you remember those coloring books that became really popular a couple of years ago? Yeah. It was almost like this, like commercialized version of like structured play, like, okay, mm. let's play. And, and I think that's, that's great, but there is something there around following your intuition and stop stifling it and stop saying, mm. no, 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 I, you know, I could watch TV tonight for an hour, but I should be doing this work. Mm -hmm. There's give and take, you know, sometimes the, doing the work will make you feel better. And I don't want to negate that. i probably mm -hmm. have some work I'm going to do tonight because I feel inspired to do so. But in those moments where you're like, no, I'm drained, I'm spent, go take a recess. Why not? Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> After this, Cindy and I are both going to go take a recess. Absolutely. <laughs> I, there's so much um, that we can explore that, that you were hitting on there. Uh, again, I think it's a perfect illustration of this, um, and I'll, I'll put this in air quotes, you know, the Protestant work ethic, but that's really <clears throat> the belief system behind our North American capitalistic economy, which is, um, you know, your, your value as a human being is based on your productivity. And, um, and so we grow up with these messages about, you can go out and play after you've done your homework. Mm. You can have dessert after you've eaten your vegetables. You know, like, why? You know, I, I, if I were to go out and play and then come and do my homework, I'd probably be more focused, more energized and get it done in half the time. And that's the messages we need to rewire for ourselves as adults because it will put us in our flow. It will mean we're working smart, not hard, because I will guarantee you, it will take you less time to do something if you take that recess and come back. I, I know that from lived experience, hard lesson. You know, you have to keep trying it and keep trying it and believe that you can do it. And, uh, and I think that's the other, I'll go a little segue, but that's the part of community that's super important. You need someone or a group of people who are saying, yes, Andrea, take that recess because the rest of the world is going to be telling you, no, you shouldn't. You know, there's a whole bunch of shoulds that'll come in. Oh, I should just get through this. I should just power through. I should meet the deadline. And you need a community that's going to counterbalance that message because it'll, it'll, you'll be bombarded with it. And, and this is why we're not just talking about that kind of mainstream self-care, like, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I had a hot bath. Great. But you're going to go back out and you're going to get bombarded by the messages telling you how hard you should work and how your worth is only tied up and how productive you can be. And you need a community saying, ah, what if we challenged that? What if we turned it on its head? You know? And so, so that's an important aspect. Um, and back to your example of the kids and the recess, I heard an interesting um, podcast the other day, and it was talking about how we need to rehumanize our own bodies, because in the workplace, we're structured to be these productive, 
automatrons that show up exactly the same way and give the exact same amount of productivity every day, day in and day out, not affected by any other factors. And we soon forget to listen to the simple basic signals that our bodies give us like, I need to go to the bathroom. I haven't eaten. I haven't had enough water today. Like I know I've been in situations where I will override that. I will ignore those signals. And so, so much of this is about really coming back and starting from that fundamental connection to ourselves and our bodies and what we need to, you know, not only be lit up, but to function well. Mm. We lose that. How do we lose that? Yeah. And it's like, so it's so noisy. It's like when you're, Mm. we've all had those days and especially, you know, in corporate careers or even entrepreneurship, or you have those days where it just feels like the music is playing so loud that you can't even hear the the cues. And Mm. so tying it back to your permission to pause, it just sounds like, (laughs) just turn the music down a little bit, a couple times a day, or, Mm. you know, when you're like, "Mm, it's probably around lunchtime. Like it doesn't matter when you actually eat lunch, but it's nice to know that around 12 o'clock, maybe check in with yourself to be like, am I hungry? Yes, I'm starving. Cause you turn the yeah. music down a little bit. Yeah. That's, there's something, there's something there and it's, yeah. And there's, oh my gosh, you know, the tangent we could also go on would just be the corporate wellness programs that exist, but then this weird juxtaposition between the companies that are also tracking their employees, like over the pandemic, they were like, proved me your productivity, but here are all the corporate wellness programs we're offering. And, you know, it's just, oh my gosh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. A lot of opportunity. Exactly. Well, and also like, here's the corporate wellness program, sign up for it. And it's over your lunch hour. Uh, Yeah. Right. So it's like, give something up for this, as opposed Mm -hmm. to here's the corporate wellness program. And it takes place during the workday because we value you as a human being and want to invest in your well-being. Yes. Okay. So to pivot a little bit, I want to use myself mm-hmm. as a human case study and selfishly ask you from your perspective as a mom of two, I purposely timed this episode so that it was actually going to air. So this is a few weeks before this is actually happening, but this is airing the week that I should be having a baby and we'll be taking myself my first entrepreneurial maternity leave. So I have worked with my coach. I've done a lot of the internal work. You know, I am a coach. I, you know, I'm like just gearing up, getting all my tools ready to like take this maternity leave, give myself the permission to pause. I worry that I won't stay true to that path. Do you have any advice for me on how to commit to and take that pause and what to remind myself of in those moments where I like, but I should be doing, even if it's not going back to work, but I should be making beef stroganoff or I should be making fresh bread because I have the time. Like what are some, some watch outs or some tips that you maybe even have for me to allow myself that time? I love that you're thinking about this already as you prepare for your maternity leave from your business. I think already you're ahead of the game because you're aware of it. And as you said earlier, you're bringing that intention, which is so much a part of the game. Um, And before I give any advice, I guess what I'm curious about is where, where do you think the biggest challenges will be for you? Oh, such a good question. Spoken as a true facilitator. 
You know what? I think it's my, it's a good, it's a, it actually comes from a really positive place. It's my excitement and my, my zest for life. Like, I think that is the superpower I have is I have a joie de vivre. Like I really enjoy life and I get so excited. Like this conversation makes me so excited and the work I'm doing makes me so excited making bread makes me, you know, I'm just, Mm. I guess I'm an excitable person. So I think that the, that my, you know, yeah, my, my worrier or whatever is kind of around the, like, I get really, I also know that when I pause, I get really inspired, which can then turn into additional items on my, I guess, to-do list and, Mm. and that sort of thing. So as I'm saying that I'm definitely an external thinker, I wonder if there's a better way, is there a way to channel that and to kind of go back to an episode I did with Taylor Aller, which I'll link in the show notes um, mm-hmm. on making a not right now list. So maybe that's one thing I could do would be Ooh. when I get excited like that. Maybe it's putting it on my not right. Maybe it's just putting it on a list, letting it live somewhere. Okay. That could be one idea. I love that. And I <laughs> caught your Taylor Aller episode, which I thought was fantastic. And I love that not right now list. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to adopt that as well. I can so relate to um, your uh, multi-passion excitement. I'm very much the same. And I think that's probably why I felt like I had this plate that was overflowing with um, my roles, my desires, my aspirations, my goals, my commitments, my obligations. It's its the way I live. Um, and so again, God bless Notion. There's where I put all of my, you know, just, just the lists and then the lists of the lists and the lists and the lists. <laughs> Notion. Okay. I'm going to look into that yeah, one. Love absolutely a good tool. love that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you can get a free version and um, it was actually one of my daughters that introduced me to it and you can make it look so aesthetic, but I just find even the act of putting those great ideas and inspirations in a place then just lightens your mental energy um, because it definitely is, it does tax your mental energy to try and hang on to all that great inspiration. Um, and what I'm hearing from you again, I think because I can so relate to the experience is, um, there's no shortage of inspiration and ideas and things that you enjoy doing. And, and I certainly feel the same way. Um, the overwhelm for me often came from wanting to do them all, all at the same time, and to a certain degree of perfection that was off the charts. <laughs> you know, um, again, because I was sort of raised that if you're going to do something, do it well, you know, give 110%. And so one of the tools that we talk about in Permission to Pause is if you're good at something, if it comes to you naturally and it's it's a passion of yours, your 80% is going to show up as 110% for someone else. Mm. So if you're doing something for someone and you're like, oh, but I really care about them, about what I'm doing, I'm going to give 110%. Your 80% will land the same way for them. And that gives you at least 20% to put in your reserve tank. Whoa. So, so that's, that's something 
to just be aware of. Um, it it definitely applies in the workplace, but it applies for anything that we bring our full passion to, and often in terms of what we want to do for others. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that visual too. Like I was literally picturing picturing 20 cents, two dimes. And not that I I don't remember the last time I used cash, but putting <laughs> the 20 cents in the piggy bank or okay, this is another weird example. I love analogies, but remember if there was an interact program here in Canada where or it was like save the rest. I think they still have that where they'll round up, you know, a, a bill that you pay at like the gas station or whatever, and you like save the rest. I I'm going to think about that a lot. I think that's a huge takeaway for me or probably anybody else listening around the, like, what of that can you save knowing that your 80% is excellent and not just, okay, now I'm, now I'm on a a total tangent, but I think my, Mm -hmm. my issue with people saying like, you know, 80% is good and it's good enough for as someone who's a high achiever, it's kind of like, yeah, but sometimes you want to do hundred percent. However, what you just said is no, no, but the perception of your 80% to others looks like over a hundred percent. And that is a very interesting reframe. I have never thought about it that way. So and I think it's really important that this isn't smoke and mirrors, and this isn't trying to hoodwink someone that you're only giving them your 80%. It's they don't know how to do what you're doing as well as you do. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked. Like they've come to you or you've offered because it's something you're good at and you're passionate about. And so the point really is it will be received as 110% or more because it will more than meet their need. And that those two dimes, the 20%, I love the visual, the two dimes, that is the contribution to your sustainable energy plan. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's the cup in in the you know the framework that I share. That is the cup that holds your energy that you place your saucer on top of. And your saucer is no longer unstable because you've always you're always filling that tank. And it's it's really about building resilience. So that if something comes at you out of left field, like a medical emergency, as we talked about earlier, it's not going to topple that cup or the plate on top because it's so solid and it's not empty. And that's the analogy. Wow. It's like sand, like really it's a weighted, it's weighted down. I can see that. I can tell I'm Mm. very visual. I I love, love, love (laughs) that visual. That is so that is fascinating. Well, you figured out a heck of a lot in your lifetime, but Cindy, what are you still trying to figure out in all this? Mm. You know, I, I think it gets back to a question you asked earlier uh, on this uh, in this conversation, which is, you know, like how do you plot your year? Which, which I don't want to lose that question that, that you asked because I think it's a really important one. And that's where my learning is right now. I am turning my attention to learning how to live in sync with the seasons, because there's a permission in that as well, which, for example, while this podcast is being recorded, we're in the middle of winter. Um, I think you've got snow on the ground where you are. I've got a gray, cold, rainy day here. And 
it's important for us to, to again, pause long enough to look around and be connected to the natural world and realize that for us right now in this part of the world, at this time of the year, most living things are resting and they're even composting. They're shedding what they no longer need, the leaves or the, you know, the whatever um, parts get shed in the quiet winter months. And there is so much nourishment and energy that is quietly being built underground without any of us seeing in order to nurture a more active and outward facing spring season to come. And I am learning more and more about how nourishing that is for us to be in sync with the seasons. And there's a permission component to it as well. So when it's the middle of winter and it's a gray rainy day outside and I feel I'm plugging into my body and I'm feeling like, okay, what I really want to do is rest, but the shoulds come in. You should do this. You should meet that deadline. You should get this finished. It's the ability to, I guess it's another tool to reach for to say, "Mm, it might be the best thing for me to do right now to step away and rest because the natural world is telling me to do that. So that's that I don't say I have that figured out. I would love to get to a place where I run my business on a seasonal basis so that it is in sync with the season. It gives me a downtime. It gives me a time of Um, sort of planting and, you know, little seedlings. And that would be that inspiration stage of the year. And then there's a time of the year where I reap the benefits of that creativity and inspiration, and that's the harvest. So, you know, and, and also there's a releasing time and allowing things to fall away that no longer serve me. So that's my learning journey now. Oh, that's so cool. It sounds like a like really taking and applying applying everything that you've learned and experienced. I think that's so beautiful. Mm. What a great, what a good uh, next step. We'll have to have you on. I want to hear more about that because <laughs> we were chatting about that over the winter solstice with a guest I had Chantal Russell and we, she talked mm. about that as well. And right. it's so fascinating. And I don't think it's woo woo. And Hey, maybe even if it is whatever, you know, I think there's, there's magic there. That's really mm. cool. And it sounds like you have so much going on with your permission to pause program. Tell me what you have coming up in your business and where everybody can find you as well. Mm, Thank you. So people can find me on my website, boomspiralfacilitation.com and on Instagram at boomspiralfacilitation. I'm also on LinkedIn, Cindy Backup. And um, just a quick uh, reference to the name of the company, Boom Spiral. People ask me questions about it all the time, but (laughs) it was a... It's a word that's made up and it's a word that came to me at an event when someone was talking about the literal explosion of magic that happens when a good facilitator ignites the energy and creativity and wisdom of the collective group and it ignites something that takes everyone higher. And so that's where that that name came from. 
And and on that note, that's really where my focus is now. I'm I'm offering permission to pause as a workshop series. I've been um, offering it online, and I'm super excited that it will be offered in person very soon as well. And it's in that spirit of community and really um, finding the magic and the connection and the support that um, that I think we're all trying to plug back into in this post-COVID era. And the other aspect of my business is to support other entrepreneurs who want to build those communities for themselves, whether they're offering webinars or in-person learning opportunities or keynote presentations. I'll be offering um, planning services to help those hosts ensure that they have the most engaging and inclusive experience for their participants. So I'll be inviting um, entrepreneurs to bring their content to me. They'll be the content experts, and I'll work with them to shape up a container and a flow to the experience that will make it a memorable experience for their participants. Oh, my goodness. Well, I... I wish that when I was in the corporate world, I knew about you whenever we were sourcing facilitators and, and mm. whatnot, but I just have a feeling we'll be working together in the future, probably not so not so distant future, because I just love the work you do. I love your message. You are equal ground, equal parts of head and heart. You're so incredibly smart, but you have this heart and intention behind everything you do. So thank you for showing up as you do. Thank you so much for joining on this podcast. I I teared up a couple of times. There's just so much. I think there's, there's truly, there's just so much wisdom here. So I really appreciate it. And I know the audience will as well. Andrea, it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening. You can access all resources mentioned in this episode via my website, andreabar.com slash podcast. And let's chat on Instagram. I'm at Andrea Bar Coaching and I reply to every DM I get. If you loved this episode, don't forget to quickly hit that button on your podcast app to give me a five-star rating and drop in a review. It would truly mean the world. And if you're like me and love to share things that you love, send this episode to a friend who you think would appreciate this topic. Thanks again for listening and I'll chat with you next week.